0: Welcome to Alex Asks, a podcast series determined to bring to light the inequities within the music industry and discuss ways we can do better. Each episode, we'll take a look at an artist that experienced injustice within the industry, what happened, why it happened, how we reacted, how it all went down. I'm Alex, your host. Thank you so much for being here. I hope y'all got an opportunity to listen to some of Britney Spears' catalog from the last episode. While I was putting together her episode, the hashtag JusticeForGlory started trending in reference to Britney's latest album, and Britney actually put out a previously unreleased track from that album as a result. Her legacy and impact lives on, and I expect it will continue to live on for years to come. So this is an extra special episode, because it is officially the last episode of this podcast series. Because I knew it was going to be the last one, and because I really wanted to commit to inviting dialogue around this podcast, some of you might already know that I asked for the input of my friends on social media to help me decide who this final episode should center. I wanted this episode to be based on how many people thought I should cover a specific artist, and it ended in a three-way tie. Amy Winehouse, Doja Cat, and Lana Del Rey. I think all three of these artists' episodes would offer further insight in the injustices experienced by these artists individually and would add to the conversation surrounding systemic injustice that routinely pops up in the shared themes between all of these artists' cases. But I ultimately chose not to choose any of these artists, and it's for a simple reason. Just because these artists were the most asked for does not mean that their stories should be the ones I elevate through this podcast. It's not a matter of my personal preference. It's about what is going on under the surface that draws us to these artists' stories. I understand why Amy would be covered for this podcast. She poured so much of her body and soul into her music and her art and her career was cut short due to the impact of her addiction and mental illness. Her story is tragic and very telling of the industry, but there are about a million pieces surrounding the career of Amy Winehouse. And I wanted to be aware in my own capability of bringing something new to the conversation And in the cases of Doja and Lana, two artists I've been shocked by and disappointed in as a result of the last several weeks, I worried that my take on either of their careers would fail to incorporate as much context as necessary, and new information continues to come out surrounding those two, both from them themselves and from some Twitter detective work. In some sense, it feels too soon for me to try to unpack all that's going on there in order to tell the well-rounded story I want to tell, and so I chose not to cover those two. I was pushed in a different direction due to the context of our society as it is right now. There weren't and still aren't enough Black women in this podcast series, and Black women by and large both inspire trends in sound, lyrics, and style of music today, and at the same time benefit the least from it. This is not to negate the injustices experienced by the non-Black artists whose stories I told, This is to acknowledge that the injustices faced by black women are inherently more nuanced, more systematically oppressive, and as such, I wanted to use this final episode to elevate an artist that only received one, though very important, vote. So, today, for the last time, Alex asks, what happened with Ms. Lauren Hill? I'm excited to cover Ms. Hill's story, especially because it is by and large the story about which I knew the least before going into this podcast series. Hill is an acclaimed singer, songwriter, and rapper, and has been referred to by many critics, fans, and other artists as the greatest female rapper of all time. According to Rolling Stone, Hill knew she wanted to be an entertainer at 13 years old, and so, before she released her debut album, Hill was a part of the band Fugees, which helped to elevate her to mainstream artist status after the group's second album was awarded multiple Grammys and sold millions of copies worldwide. Beautiful, young, and talented, the rising star that Hill now was allowed her to build upon her status by meeting other artists within the industry. After she gave birth to her first child and decided she no longer wanted to share a spotlight with her band, she was inspired to put her focus into her own music and went into the studio to record her solo album, The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill. This debut solo album was released in 1998 and went on to sell over 19 million copies worldwide and was nominated for a total of 10 Grammys, winning five. This at the time made Hill the first female artist to be nominated that many times and win that many awards in one night. She came onto the scene unstoppable and used her talent to revolutionize the industry and inspire countless other artists following the release. Even today, popular songs like Nice For What by Drake include a sample from Hill's album, and her impact on music is felt by many fans and artists worldwide. But, like so many artists before her, Hill fell subject to the pressures of fame, the grandeur of Hollywood, and began to disassociate from the spotlight and the career the industry was trying to force upon her. This, in turn, leads to where we see Hill's career today. According to interviews with Hill's past bandmates, Hill began to separate herself from the expectations of stardom that Hollywood began to place on her. She was offered multiple acting roles in several blockbuster movies, including Charlie's Angels, The Born Identity, and The Matrix, but turned down these opportunities. According to a friend of Hill's in a Rolling Stone interview, Hill began to hate who society's idea of Lauren Hill was. She despised the manufactured international superstar magazine cover girl who wasn't able to go out of the house looking a little tattered on a given day. These feelings of being lost and disenfranchised within the industry were exacerbated by Hill's collaborators on her album suing her for, as they said, not properly giving them credit on her album. The case eventually settled out of court, but the longstanding implication of this breach of trust, both with her collaborators and with the mainstream industry, deeply affected Hill. This, compounded with the worry about failing to meet arbitrary expectations placed on her, led to her self-imposed exile from the industry, as she denied collaborations, denied film roles, and denied what the industry had wanted her to be. After years out of the spotlight, Hill released her confessional 2002 album, MTV Unplugged 2.0, which saw a stark difference in sales and critical acclaim as compared to her previous release. Many were apparently put off by her vulnerability on the album, due to lines like, I had created the public persona, this public illusion, and it held me hostage. I couldn't be a real person. At that point, I had to do some dying. In that same year, her passion for her nonprofit organization Refugee Project dwindled, and the once-promising organization deteriorated as a result. She cited, once again, her lack of passion for the organization, feeling as though she was experiencing slavery as a result of having to fake her way through it all. A short-lived reunion tour in 2005 with the Fugees resulted in old tensions among Hill and her bandmates being resurfaced, and before they could make another album together, Hill left the group again. She began to tour on her own, though her unwillingness to adhere to what fans wanted from her resulted in mixed reviews and negative press. And, despite her record label Columbia repeatedly telling news media that Hill was working on a new album due to be released soon, no new album ever came. She continued to release one-off singles for movie soundtracks, as well as remixes and b-sides, until Columbia Records in mid-2008 began to circulate the news that Hill was on hiatus. Hill's baby daddy, Rohan Marley, disputed this and stated that Hill had enough songs recorded and written to release multiple albums and that she never slept. This became apparent when, after two shows out of ten total Hill was to perform in a summer concert series in 2009, Hill passed out on stage mid-performance. She refused to offer refunds to upset fans, which further hurt her reputation and damaged her once-thriving persona as a rising star. She returned to sporadically touring and releasing one-off singles until her career received the biggest blow yet. As a result of her seclusion from society in the mid-2000s, Hill failed to file her taxes and committed tax fraud. She said in a Tumblr post that she was given no choice but to disassociate from society and reject pop culture's climate of hostility, false entitlement, manipulation, racial prejudice, sexism, and ageism. She stated that in order to protect her family from these outside forces, she needed to distance herself from the confines of society. Before serving three months in jail for her crimes, she released a single that received negative backlash for its offhand and problematic representation of trans women, which she claimed was not the intended effect. After serving time and signing a new deal with Sony, she was expected to release a new album in 2013, but the album never came. Instead, she wrote and contributed songs to a Nina Simone documentary, which critics praised but went generally unnoticed by fans. Since, she has tried to embark on new tours and bring live music to new audiences, but the stigma surrounding her live appearances—that she always arrives late, that she might pass out, that she might perform arrangements of songs no one has heard—casts a dark shadow over her prospects as an artist today. But how did everything get so bad so fast? Many credit Brother Anthony, a religious figure who entered Hill's life in 2000, for driving a wedge between her and society from the start. This is because after Hill met Brother Anthony, who is not technically affiliated with any particular religion, they were inseparable, and she began to attend the Bible study with him on a very regular basis. In the Rolling Stone interview, band members from the Fugees stated that they believed Brother Anthony was the cause of Hill's seclusion, comparing Brother Anthony's demeanor and teachings to a cult. However, this might be a little simplistic. As an article from Afropunk says, and as history tells us, Black women who say no to career opportunities often get demonized and blacklisted. Once Hill started to stand up for herself, her art, and the integrity of her identity, she began to lose career opportunities, lose money, and lose her social circles. This violation of trust, Privacy and a promising career led to battles with mental illness that forced her to coop herself up in her home with her children, painstakingly writing through everything she was feeling. And when she saw that society didn't really want to hear her confessional music, as we saw with the response to Unplugged 2.0, she began to close off even further, eventually considering herself separate from society. A quote from Malcolm X states that the most disrespected person in America is the black woman. Unfortunately, Hill's case could not speak more to the truth of this statement. Once Hill decided to stand up for her artistic and personal integrity, she was met with anger, frustration, and career opportunities taken from her. Her experiences with society's idea of who she was supposed to be eventually broke her, leaving her with a cognitively dissonant idea of who she was within society, eventually leading to her feeling as though she should leave society as a whole. It has since been over 20 years since she released an album and one can only hope that while other artists continue to profit off of sampling her music and citing her as an inspiration, she will eventually make her return to the industry on her own healthy terms. So, Ms. Lauren Hill's story is packed. It's insane to me to think that despite being so talented and regarded as so revolutionary that Hill can still somehow have only put out one solo album— As a new fan of hers, I have to say that everyone is right. Her album is amazing. I do truly hope that she puts out another album and reclaims glory within the industry on her own terms. Y'all, that concludes Alex Asks. Thank you, thank you, thank you for sticking through this series with me. Thank you to Dr. Paul for fostering an academic environment that allowed this podcast to reach its potential. Thank you to Dr. Hardin, who inspired dialogue and thought in the pre-production of this series. Thank you to everyone who contributed their ideas for episode 8, and thank you to Emily, whose vote for Ms. Lauren Hill helped me decide how to best end this series. I hope these themes of injustice are apparent to you, listeners. I think female art is rooted in a sort of beautiful, transformational resilience that only female art can really embody, and I think that's why I personally connect so much to the lyrics, the songs, and the artists behind them. As always, thank you so much for being here. Spread love. Let's not be mediocre in our greatness, you know what I mean? Like, think big. Think big. And think in doses. Think in experiences. And don't be afraid of experiences that teach you. Don't be afraid of that. We don't always have to be so, you know, our generation is just so, you know, we're just cool all the time. It's like I'm always cool. I'm a baller. I have all the women. I know everything. You know, and that's just not not realistic. No one knows everything at every time. No one is just that cool all the time. I mean, maybe some of you in the audience are, you know, but nobody is, you know. So don't be afraid to be that because when you, are uncool that's the road to cool but when you're cool already that's the road to not being cool anymore (laughs) so you know don't be afraid of that (laughs)